victim mentality is an acquired personality trait where a person tends to regard himself or herself as the victim of the negative actions of others regardless one two three so i think it was i was probably like 2012 i was in san antonio for uh, a seminar a fitness seminar and this was a military only seminar and it was for what they called wounded warriors and i, I know that Today, that's not as appropriate of a term. It's like, you know, adaptive athlete, but it was for the organization Wounded Warriors. And it was an amazing experience for a number of reasons, but every single one of the participants was an amputee. They had some physical injury that you could see. Um, some guys in wheelchairs, some guys with prosthetics, and so it was our job to, to bring them in and, and teach them a methodology of fitness and also modify it so they could perform it based on their new limitations. And, um, you know, obviously it's challenging for a number of reasons, but you, you get a gauge of, of who it is that you're working with. But for each one of these participants that were there, they had support staff. And because you're so focused on these guys and you have such a heart for trying to get them active again and, and coming up with different strategies, your patience for those that have working arms and legs significantly decreased. And so because you're dealing with somebody that's figuring out that literally has a hook for a hand, like, Hey, how could we do pull-ups? Someone on the side that has two working arms, it's like, Hey, get with the program, man. Like, come on. <laughs> and there was this one guy I remember that was really slow to participate, had arms and legs. And I remember in my mind having very little patience for him. And I even think that I had said some things to him. I was like, hey, man, come on, let's go. And as we're transitioning in and out of the gym where we were doing this, there was an interesting thing that, that kept happening with this guy. He kept spitting in the trash can every time that we would walk in and walk out. I was like, that's, that's weird. That's yeah. yeah. And I saw him do that, and I passed, and I realized that it wasn't saliva he was spitting in the trash can. He was spitting blood into the trash can. And so what they didn't tell us, and what I came to find out with this particular gentleman, is that he had suffered a number of different conditions while he was deployed. He was a soldier, even though no one told us that he was. I thought he was just like a normal like support staff. And he had um, all of this shrapnel inside his body. It looked completely normal but was spitting blood because there was like internal bleeding. And I remember talking to him and addressing this. And it makes me want to cry when I say this. I was like, why, why, what's going on? And he said, I'm not a fucking quitter. And pardon my French, but I mean, that, that is what he said. And it was at that moment that I realized several things. One, you can't judge a book by its cover. Two, that I had had a prejudice in that moment for someone that seemed like they had their shit together. Mm-hmm. And I think about that guy a lot. It's weird. I think about that guy a lot. And maybe that's a good segue into what it is <laughs> that we're talking about, of how in fitness there are there are 
prejudices. Prejudices? Mm -hmm. There's prejudice. Look, are there some gyms where, you know, there's a, a... a racial prejudice or, you know, um, you know, they, they persecute you because of your religious beliefs or political beliefs. Yeah, I'm sure there is. But what I've found is that the biggest prejudice is your inability to do what it is that we're asking you to. And so I'm here with one of my favorite people. Thank you so much. Second episode together. Introduce yourself. My name is Brittany Rice. What's your middle name? Lynn, actually. Oh, wow. It's my same, the same as my dad's. He got to pick. Mm-hmm. Jimmy Lynn. We Jimmy are Lynn. Deep South. <laughs> that, sounds like, that sounds like he could play a mean guitar. I wish. Uh-huh. Man, that'd be awesome. Jimmy Lynn. It's a fisherman. Coming to the stage? Yeah. Jimmy Lynn. Right. Man, that would have been a great stage name. Mm-hmm. But yes. From Texarkana, I've been at BPR now for over four and a half years. Someone asked me that the other day. I was like, I'm going on my fifth year with BPR. So we've had a good run. Best run. Yeah. Best run. I was actually thinking about this. This is totally random, but uh I got in a conversation with a lot of like firsts in my life of like within fitness or within like um career wise. And it's just so funny how much is tied to here before I ever started working here. I think I told you, like, I got hired here in 2018. <laughs> And I think back in 2015, I wrote on a goal sheet that I was going to work for Spencer Nix. And I didn't know you. Like, I just had heard through the grapevine that you were good at what you did. (laughs) And so I have, like, this old goal sheet that was like, I'm going to work for Spencer Nix. And then, like, you did one of my, like, seminars, like, back in the day, like, before I ever started working here. And you're just like, what do you want to do with all this? But even, like, back to, like, the first time I ever did double unders was, like, in one of your gyms, like, back when I wasn't working in fitness at all. At Fieldhouse. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And then the first time I ever got a pull-up was a class that I, like, was the only one that showed up one day. And you were like, scrap this. What do you want to do? I remember that. Yeah. It's so funny. But anyways, all to say, so much of my life is wrapped up with this gym even before I started working here. Well, it's it's been a great honor to to work with you. And I'm I'm really excited about what we're going to talk about today. Agree or disagree, but I feel like your personality doesn't suffer fools very well. Mm. Is that true? That is very true. I've been accused of being very black and white and um, brash with mm-hmm. my opinions. But I think you've done a great job of, of coupling that with tact, with patience with dare I even say like grace where it's not buying into somebody's BS, but also not jamming that right in their face, which is an art, right? It's definitely something I've had to learn this like, um, learner mentality, this seek to understand this, uh, posture of curiosity is not innate for me. Mm. It is very much something I had to practice And especially with working with people often. Um, I've been in some version of a service industry for my entire life. And so I am very much someone that tends to project my own opinions on someone. So I had to learn very early on that I am not the standard. And so to be able to listen to people for actually what they're saying versus like my opinion of what they're saying Mm -hmm. was very hard to do. Mm -hmm. You know, as I think about what it is we want to talk about today, 
I like to make this joke. I probably make it uh, once a week. You know, when somebody, when someone comes in late to a training session, um, I used to you berate them. Mm-hmm. Now I just say, hey, we'll pretty much take any bum off the street. But I realize as I'm retelling that story and I'm analyzing my my own preconceived opinions is that there's a caveat to that. It's like, I'll take any bum off the street, dot, 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 if you don't have any, and this is without you know analyzing, mm-hmm. it's not really true. It's like, if you don't have any reasons why you can't just hop in here and right. exercise. As long as you know the language. Yeah. As long as you know what's going on and you can assimilate quickly. Yeah. Yeah. And I wonder how common that is. I, I would imagine that for the coaches that are listening to this, it is quite common. And it's common because there is an additional roadblock. And we'll call this, you know, the the five horsemen that we'll get into. There's an additional roadblock in addition to a tall task of getting someone in shape, getting someone healthy. There's an additional thing that's in the way. And so without analyzing that, it would be easy to to have um, a preconceived notion about why someone is the way that they are, especially if it's preventable. Mm-hmm. Why someone's not working as, as hard as they could. Why, and we've talked about this in several episodes already, why someone isn't doing the thing that you have told them to do. So let's get into it. What, what, what should we call this? The five horsemen of... We're still, we've got a working title, yeah. but... It's something about prejudice, something about barriers to entry, mm-hmm. somewhere in that realm. It's going to come. <laughs> there are five horsemen in fitness. Of something, yeah. yeah. Of some sort of fitness. An additional um, consideration that we need to deconstruct and we need to, we need to understand why it's there. We need to understand then what do you do with it. Because mm-hmm. if someone shows up, it's your responsibility. And I think with each one of these that we'll get into, it's easy to justify why they're not going to be successful. Mm-hmm. But if you're really good at what you do, this should just be additional criteria. It's almost like there's a there's an operating manual that we typically go off of. And then when you see this additional roadblock, there's just going to be additional instructions of how mm-hmm. to do this. It really just tests you as a coach. Like, do you have the breadth to be able to deal with just not your norm. Mm -hmm. If someone walks in, that's a mirror image of you. It's very easy to coach them. Mm -hmm. It really tests you as a coach whenever it's something you haven't experienced or something that truly is a large barrier to entry. And I think what we'll find with these five horsemen is there are some that coaches almost tend to scoff at. I was like, that's dumb or that's stupid. And a lot of it's because we don't understand it. And a lot of it is like you said, that preconceived notion of how they got to that place. Mm -hmm. And we think it's invalid. Um, But there are some things it's like, hey, as a coach, you truly need to have a toolbox for this because it's a real barrier to entry that could cause problems if you're not aware. And let's take the inverse. If you don't have a toolbox for these five, it means all you are left to be successful with are people that are just like you. Yes. Already very fit. Right. Already could, just like you said, walking off the street, know the language, know what to do, pick up a barbell and be able to use it well. Yeah. So how good of a coach are you if all you can coach are people that are exactly like you? Not worth very much. How how good are you? Not very good. Right. So this isn't something that's a that's a cute anecdote. It is an absolutely necessary thing to talk about. 
So let's let's get into it. Let's get into these bodies. Okay. What are the five? Five bodies are one, uh, an overweight body, uh, a, a, a large body, we could say. Mm-hmm. Um, number two is an injured body. Mm-hmm. Number three is a unathletic body. Mm-hmm. Number four is an intimidated body. And number five is an older body. Yes. Mm-hmm. If this was um, if this was a comic book, these would be the Expendables. That's terrible. That's terrible. <laughs> That's terrible. If this was the Justice League, no, no, it's, it's dumb, You're digging. stupid. Yeah, <laughs> digging that hole. Um, this is this is real life, mm-hmm. and so I, you know, I I say that to to lighten the mood, but we interact with these kind of people on a regular basis, and and we ourselves, if we're honest, can slip into these categories these avatars i broke my rib um three months ago Mm -hmm. and so i immediately slipped into the injured body category Mm -hmm. and so generally speaking brit what is it that you see as a commonality across these five avatars Within the five, I think that when I sit down with someone like that, there is an immediate hesitancy. There is something, some mindset that they're walking in with that they're already, they've got it lined up why this won't work Hmm. or lined up as to why they might not be the right fit or why they might consider themselves a burden or consider themselves unable to do whatever it is that we're asking them. Hmm. That's interesting because they're still showing up. Mm-hmm. I th- there's probably, I mean, think about how many people that we'll never interact with because they don't even have the courage to show up. Totally. So it's this very complicated scenario where they're coming in expecting this not to work, yet they are here, which means there's a shred of hope. Mm-hmm. There's, there's some glimmer of optimism despite the the negativity that they have Mm -hmm. and you and i were talking before that some of these are are circumstantial they're they're unavoidable you can't avoid that that you're advancing in age Mm -hmm. um with a lot of injuries like you can't you can't avoid that something happened to you or you had to have surgery shoot you probably can't avoid that you're a terrible dancer right it's just just the cards that you were dealt so you know the rhythm just might not be your thing the coordination the uh the unathletic the, the body timing. just couldn't couldn't quite get there. They couldn't clap on the two and four. They did the one yeah. and three. And I think even um, you know dealing with someone that's clinically obese or extremely overweight, even that's really complicated. And I think mm-hmm. it's easy to reduce that down to. Um, and I'm just going to say what's in a lot of people's minds is like, oh, you know, they just don't work hard enough. And mm-hmm. if you've ever walked through coaching someone. For a long time, you realize that it is not mm-hmm. as simple as that. There's is, so many things that went into yeah, that. Yeah. So I think that's the first, like, the first checkpoint of when you encounter any of these five is really to check yourself. I think that coaches, oftentimes, we assume that people want to be like us. So they're coming to us as the guru, as the expert. And in some ways, they're asking you for help, but in no way have they communicated like you're the end goal. Mm-hmm. And so I think that it's really helpful, especially for me to get rid of any preconceived notions of who they are, how they got there, 
what their actions look like right now and really just go into it with like, you tell me what's going on. Yeah. And so, you know, you can think of that as, as in a continuum. And what we said earlier, like on one side of that yes. is, is total disregard, um, judgment, mm-hmm. prejudiced, preconceived notions, thinking that you know everything that led them up to this point. On the complete other end of the spectrum is uh, what we would call trauma bonding. It's where you're so empathetic to the stories that they are telling you that you almost make it worse for them to change. Mm -hmm. You bond over the empathy that you're trying to display. And when you do that, so this will scare people away. Mm -hmm. Eventually, this is unsustainable because no one wants to be um, reiterated about what a piece of shit they are. They already feel like that, and we'll get into that in just a sec. But on the other end is inactivity. Mm-hmm. It's just it's just coddling. It's just oh bless your heart. Mm-hmm. And and neither one Life of those is hard. yeah yes. like oh you, yeah you, yeah why are you even here? This is yeah, so yeah. tough. And so you have to find like most things that we talk about, like this balance point where where you're meeting them exactly where they're at. You're accepting the the difficulties that they are. You're not discounting them at all. But you're also and this isn't anything that you would ever say. But you're not believing all of the stories that they're sharing with you. Mm -hmm. You won't make that uh, apparent by the look on your face. But you know embedded in this narrative that they are telling themselves is that it is is opinion. Mm -hmm. How do we know that? Well, because we've had each one of these five horsemen show up and overcome these things. We've had people show up and not overcome exact same scenario based on the, the the context that we're talking about and so if there's variation there it means that that there's some latitude in what's what people are capable of doing mm-hmm. so where do you want to go from there you know we talked about three different touch points to be able to deal with these people so the first one is was it the conversations around it? Yeah. Yeah. yeah the, the psychology. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Kind of hitting on psychology. How do you meet someone who comes in here and has this preconceived notion they're stuck in their ways or it won't work or I can't because of A, B, and C? I think a lot of that, one, is, yeah, how do you establish yourself as a teammate for them? And I think you already started on it with you do listen to the stories, you do listen to what they've told themselves and even like circumstantially what's happened to them Mm -hmm. as to why they are where they are. So taking what you might think out of it, taking what you, you know, what you assume got them to the point they're at today. Um, But even kind of what we talked about earlier is like, Hey, I want to hear where the end goal is. Like, where are you trying to head? Mm -hmm. And so let's talk about that. Like, what is it that brought you in here today? I think that's such a freeing question to ask people. And even as you're still working with them, it doesn't have to be on the first shot because oftentimes people are not ready to like go deep with you the first time they meet you. And so over and over again, getting on the same page of, hey, why are you here? Like, Mm -hmm. what brings you in here today? Mm -hmm. Like, what brings you in here for the past three months? Like, what are we working for right here? And that gives you a really clear picture of where we're trying to head Mm -hmm. and can take your own biases out of it. Do you have a good way to ask that? that's what I just do. Yeah. Just yeah. Like, hey, what, yeah. <laughs> what brought you in here? Or like what, 
what are we working towards? Like, what's the end goal? Mm -hmm. And you said earlier, um, you know, the magic wand question, like, mm -hmm. it, which is basically just like, hey, dream up your ideal mm -hmm. life, right? Dream up the scenario where everything that you want to come in and accomplish like we do. Mm -hmm. And then give me some details there. So that's what I actually ask that question. Oftentimes when people first come in is, well, you know, hey, in three months, let's say that I made every hope and dream come true. What's different about your life? And I think that opens up the freedom to be like, and a lot of it, it's so interesting. The verbiage around it is not like I am these things. It's I'm not this stuff. Mm -hmm. And so much of it is like I have these parameters around how I am currently. And these are the things that are no longer true of me versus like all these like affirmatives of like, this is who I am now. Yeah. And why I think that question is powerful with a virtually a stranger mm -hmm. is you ask that. And then as you just alluded to, you ask the follow-up question, why is that not true right now? Mm -hmm. And what they'll hopefully communicate is this thing that you've made an assumption for. Mm -hmm. Okay, this person that's sitting across from me, they're, they're 80 years old. I'm assuming that at some point it's going to come up that the reason that they don't have what it is that they want is because of this thing. Mm -hmm. And you need desperately for them to admit that because all change, all behavior modification comes from, number one, their ability to admit where they're at and to understand the gap that they have. Mm -hmm. I find, agree or disagree, that that's not hard mm -hmm. for them to cop to. They're more aware than you are. <laughs> they're more aware. They're more aware than you are. But the challenging part is, is I think, what comes next. Mm -hmm. With each of these five horsemen there's a commonality, even though some are thrust upon us, even though some are preventable. The commonality is that each one of these people could very easily slip into being a victim for the circumstances that they find themselves in. Mm -hmm. So as a coach, being intimately acquainted with what it means to play a victim, what a victim mentality looks like is pretty crucial. Mm -hmm. And if you'll allow me, I'd like to read a definition because I think most people, we say like, oh, yeah, victim mentality. Like, yeah, I know it's what that means. It's very catchphrasy right now. Yeah. Yeah. But let's get really crystal clear on what that means. And mm -hmm. here it goes. Victim mentality is an acquired personality trait where a person tends to regard himself or herself as the victim of the negative actions of others regardless of evidence or circumstance, the victim endowity depends on a habitual thought process and attribution. So at some point, for someone to play a victim, there probably was something that happened to them. Mm -hmm. There probably was something at some point because of this thing that was hard. But the victim mentality is a habitual thought process of life has happened to me and I don't have control over it. Regardless of any external totally. stimulus. Mm -hmm. And then you go a level deeper and it's like, why does this even exist? Well, these things are hard to deal with. Every one of them is hard to deal with. There's no doubt about that. But it's what you do with that and what you tell yourself allows you to dispel that, allows you to have traction, 
or allows you to be stuck there. And what I like to say is like you've shifted into neutral. And if we're reading the story of your life, it's just the same page right. over and over again. None of those are a death sentence, right? Like injured is not the end. Like overweight is not the end. Unathletic is not the end. And just like you said, I think a lot of people see that as a immovable part of their life. And so, like you said, like I just act based off of that is my reality forever. Mm -hmm. And that is nothing I can ever work around. It has, you know, put the nail in the coffin and this is who I am now. And so I think that if you can get them to acknowledge that that's their limiting factor, oftentimes you can start to reframe, okay, does that actually mean that we can never do anything about this? Or are there some controllables here that maybe we've avoided because they are really challenging mm -hmm. now in this new state of life that maybe you're not used to? Mm -hmm. And I think uh, you never want, yeah, it's probably not great protocol to be like, hey, so you're playing the victim right now. No. This, this language is internal dialogue that's going in your head as you're just assessing like, hey, what's the best way to help this person? But it's very critical for you to understand if this is if this is what you're dealing with, mm -hmm. because it means that you could prescribe a behavior modification and it won't land because you haven't actually addressed like the real issue. And so then, you know, this may be overkill, but I find it interesting. It's like, well, why do we do this in the first place? And there's different strategies or, or explanations rather. I think one is that you you've had something hard in your life. And so this is a way to cope. This is a way to self-soothe the same way that if you skin your knee as a small child, your mom would come and hug you and say, hey, it's okay. This is a way for yourself to say, hey, it's, it's okay mm -hmm. that you're dealing with this. Furthermore, with each one of these things and by playing the victim and, and then just the insecurity that each one of these people are dealing with, what it is that they're dealing with is, is this deep, deep, question of am i lovable ooh that's good am i someone that has what it takes mm -hmm. and with this habitual thought process what they are telling themselves is no and so when you reduce it down to that level and you you build and you create some scaffolding around that you know what the problem is that you're really trying to solve. Mm -hmm. You're trying you're trying to tell each one of these guys that they do have it what it takes. Mm -hmm. You're trying to tell them that they are good enough. You're trying to tell them that you absolutely are worthy of love despite these challenges that may not be in concert with everyone that's around you. Mm -hmm. And you might say, well, that doesn't sound like fitness. It's like, well, what is fitness? What is health? It's the ability to do things on a, a consistent and regular basis. Mm -hmm. If you're going to do that, you probably need to have your head on straight. Yeah. So now that we've unpacked that, the first step, or maybe just you know the whole concept here is dismantling this victim mentality. And so, Britt, what are some of the things that that you've asked questions? So in the in the consultation portion, in the one-on-one -on -one portion with your clients. You catch a whiff. There's these certain aromas. Like, okay, mm -hmm. I, this is this is something that's a lot deeper than, hey, I'm I'm fat and now I need to not be fat. Just tell me how mm -hmm. to do that. Mm -hmm. What are some things that you found to be effective as far as the psychology, as far as the the soft skills here? Yes, uh, 
it is a lot of asking questions and asking very um, intentional questions and getting them to talk through how they got to that point and how they got to this mindset of nothing can change for me. Because like you said, they walked in, there's some hope there. Mm -hmm. They wouldn't be here if they didn't think on some level, something could be different about me eventually. And so I think even being able to capitalize on that of, I always ask, you know, Hey, if we could wave a magic wand and then also what's the low hanging fruit. Okay. What is it? Like, what's the, I know that this one small task could pay dividends for me. Like, what is this one thing? And that's usually what I attach to is it's creating these tiny, small, almost irrelevant changes that they could make to start to see this possibility of a different future. Hmm. So within those questions, I'm trying to establish on a deeper level, what do we actually have control over? Because oftentimes when you come in with an 80 year old, I can't change your age, but if you're telling me that you still live alone, I know that you can get in and out of your car. You can carry groceries inside. Like there are all these little things where it's like, oh, I know that you do have these abilities. So let's start leaning into those. Same thing with someone who is intimidated. Okay, well, you walked in today. Like you've told me that you have a relationship with your family. Like there are all these relationships that you do have. So I know that you have the ability to build these relationships. Mm -hmm. And so I'm kind of listening for the things that they actually do feel like they have control over because they do have this elephant in the room that they feel like they have no control over. So how can we start to control the controllables mm -hmm. and then move the needle forward? Even if you have this fixed mindset on this one thing, if we're honest, we can't solve that in one day. So I think that that's where my initial line of questioning tends to go. Yeah, that's good. So figure out what you can control mm -hmm. and then reduce even this may not even be anything that has to do with fitness per se or exercise but it's like create something where they feel like there's this thing that they felt stuck in that there's just a little bit of momentum i picture yes. like this there's huge, some hope <laughs> yeah this huge stone wheel or this huge you know rock and you do something that is they're watching the base for the first time in years they like start to see that shift mm -hmm. that's great um yeah, from a, a conversational standpoint, there's probably something to be said about how they even talk about this thing. Mm -hmm. um, there was a, a guy that years ago was telling me about how ADHD completely took over his life. And so everything that he did, like he was unable to focus. And I didn't challenge that. And I was just listening. And within that conversation, he talked about how he has a deep love for history mm -hmm. and how for hours he can read and focus and pay attention to this one subject. And I said, that's awesome, man. If you said that ADD controls every part of your life, how are you able to focus on this one thing? Mm -hmm. Now, I didn't come up with something out of thin air. I just listened to him. But a great strategy in counseling, a great strategy in motivational interviewing is to figure out where there is some inconsistency in the narrative that they tell themselves. Mm -hmm. What is one exception to the rule? If someone's, you know, very overweight, they'll tell this story speaking in absolutes about how there is nothing that they can do to change this. Basically, it's or a, have tried everything. Yes, they have tried yes. everything. Yeah. And 
we won't get into the specifics and maybe there's some other stories that you have, but, Mm -hmm. but a great strategy is just to listen and then to pay attention to where there may be some inconsistencies in that story or just ask like, Hey, if this is true, how is this possible? Mm -hmm. And just let them wrestle with that. I think also being able to acknowledge, I think that they have this, especially in the fitness world, they have a picture of what fitness is and even opening up to like, that isn't what it has to be. I think of this one client that I had and she was 300 pounds overweight and she walked in and just like already was just apologizing for her presence. And Hmm. we talked about group training and how she would love to make friends, but was crippled by the fact that she would have to move her body in front of other people. And for her, that was the only option for getting fit was a group structure, loud music, other people throwing barbells around and her feeling out of place. And just even opening up the opportunity of, hey, we could work one-on-one, like lit her eyes up. Mm -hmm. And so even understanding what assumptions they have of what the solution is really helps me like, oh, you know, that's not the only thing you could do. Like we could do this other thing or like opening up these permissions to be like, hey, we can still move the needle forward. And just like you said, like we can move the rock slightly and it doesn't have to be this overwhelming thing that you think has to happen to change your current state of being. Oh, that's great. Yeah, I, I imagine we build these things up as really intense, huge, huge changes. When in reality, it's like, you know, if someone's coming off of an activity, which we're saying that most of these people are, mm-hmm. the, the true science that's necessary to apply in order for their bodies to disrupt homeostasis is very very small. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a that's a great point that and that's for us where there would need to be some education instead of just implementation. Like that is where we need to dispel some of the myths that they have. Some yeah. of the some of the things probably that have got them into this place in the totally. Yeah. Well, I think that there's, you know, once you can establish certain psychological points of hey, this is their stumbling block. This is their immovable rock. There are answers around it that are inconsistent or there are other controllables that they haven't thought of. And there's also an alternate alternative route to where they could possibly go and still move the rock. You as a coach now need a toolbox to be able to actually provide those things. Mm -hmm. And so if you're saying that, hey, I can still help you, you're injured, but I'm just going to throw you in class with everyone else. You're not delivering on what you said. Mm -hmm. If you are morbidly obese and you're saying hey you can assimilate to class really quickly and you just threw them in with a complex barbell movement like you did them a disservice and so i think that even going from kind of what we said the psychological to as a coach you do need a toolbox to be able to address these outliers it can't just be the one size fits all which we see a lot of times in group fitness whether it's boutique whether it's crossfit whether it's you know something outside of that like Mm -hmm. It's kind of a, hey, the class runs this way, and we can vary a couple things, but by and large, if you can't do this, there's really not a place for you. Yeah, so let's get into that. So, you know, there's there's general frameworks from a conversational standpoint that could be applied to all, but then the the toolbox, the, the you know, the modifications and the accommodations will be unique for each one of these horsemen. Mm-hmm. So let's get into the first. So So there's a large body here. Mm-hmm. Um, what are some things that go through your head? It's like, okay, these are the actual tools I'll use so that they may feel like they are good enough. So they may feel like, Hey, I am 
I am creating some momentum. And I do, like you said earlier, feel successful at the end of this session. Yeah. I think that with a large body, there's a couple different things. You don't have the same mobility as maybe someone next to you. So what can you do from this seated or standing position? Um, what can you do that has implements that move around you versus you having to be the one to move them? Mm -hmm. um, and so I think, yeah, diluting it down to there's no way that you cannot press and pull something like there's hinging is a little bit more challenging, but like you can provide knee flexion. You can provide all these different movements to where at the basics of what they're performing can still have success in them. But I would say most of the time with someone that is a little bit larger, the most simplistic form of that movement is always going to be better. Yeah. And, and so you have to be prepared for that because let's say, for example, you have an assessment when someone first comes in and you're meeting someone for the first time, you realize, okay, this is a large body that, that can't physically go past parallel in the squat. Mm -hmm. Don't ask him to do it. You don't, you don't need to, you don't need proof that that is true. You don't need proof that it's true. And also you can find that in other ways. Mm -hmm. There are other ways to discover what the range of motion is. But also I would argue that if you're dealing with a, a large body, that's not the limiting factor here. Mm -hmm. The mobility of their joints is not the thing that you really need to address in the first place. And so I, I think a part of this is the ability to pivot and to call audibles because our job, if you reduce it down, is to make people feel at the end of something that's not supposed to be inherently fun that it was enjoyable. At yeah, least. yeah, yeah. It was not terrible. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> one of the worst part of their day. <laughs> yeah, because I bet with each one of these guys that have already built that up, it's like this is just gonna suck. Mm -hmm. And think about that. Think about how they're willing to step into something that they have built up is going to be terrible in so many different ways. Mm -hmm. So if you, so if you can with this pessimist, actually surprise them delight them oh, that's huge mm -hmm. and i found that just like we said before stuff that you wouldn't even consider for that previous avatar it's like you know no no additional roadblocks that they would say is that it this person will not say mm -hmm. farmers walks taking plates off of the weight tree moving them over here walking mm -hmm. um like you said very very light low rep slow tempoed calisthenics great step in the right direction and the best thing that this person could say in addition to that other person is hey is that it mm -hmm. like yeah you knocked it out All right great There's job some confidence there. yeah yeah um anything else there before we move on no i think you covered it injured bodies injured bodies i think the biggest thing with that is giving light to all the other things that are still accomplishable. So with your rib, that's actually one of the harder ones. It's not an appendage, right? Amen. Or it's like, hey, if you have a broken leg, you have another leg and two arms that work functionally and you know how to use. I don't want to. Re yeah, just as an antidote, of all the things I've experienced, that's not one that it I would like to awful. repeat. But even truly, like I found myself really impressed with the creativity that you had to use oh, because to not be able to brace your core yeah, you takes it up like a, so much out of it. <laughs> just a blob. So truly. Job of the hut yeah, here. Just You might be the right one to say with an injured body, like what are some opportunities that you can use? Oh, yeah. Well, I, I think you're spot on that 
there's there's so many ways to work around mm -hmm. and with injuries to just like you said recognize what you can control what you can't control and then just to give yourself a little bit of patience i think with injuries it's very easy it's the lowest hanging fruit to feel like a victim mm -hmm. it's the lowest hanging fruit for these feelings of inadequacy and insecurity to, to crop up especially when you have an idea of who you were or what you are supposed to be able to do versus mm -hmm. what you have right now mm -hmm. i think that's what i've like not had a lot of injuries in my life raise and praise but I remember one time I, and it was actually during our uh, level two, I broke my finger. Did you really? And the amount of things that you need your hand for to be able to grip whenever you're doing it was infuriating. Mm -hmm. And it was just enough to where I had to rearrange everything. But like my body worked fine. So it was so, not saying I, I would rather have like a broken arm, but it was just such a small thing, but it affected everything. Mm -hmm. So getting creative with, implementation and how you weight things and how you, you know, provide, I don't want to say friction, but, um, resistance mm -hmm. is really challenging, but having some sort of something for like within your tool toolbox for that. And I think this goes for really all, all five of these categories, but it's also, it's also reconciling that, Hey, there may be not a lot that we can do with this particular category. Fortunately, this is a multi-dimensional system. So injuries, this rib thing, it was the first time that I didn't have a huge pity party, mm -hmm. which I think in previous injuries I would. It's like, oh, you bless your heart. <laughs> you poor thing. But, but pretty quickly I snap out of that and I say, hey, what are all the other ways that I can have control? Mm -hmm. My nutrition, whenever I'm injured, is the best it's ever been. My sleep, when I broke my rib, it was like, I need nine hours of sleep, no matter what. Mm -hmm. And I didn't have the tendency that I typically do to like push that an hour out, you know, and go from nine to like 10 p.m. because I knew I didn't have as much leeway in these other categories or mm -hmm. I couldn't compensate in other ways. Right. So that's a, that's a cool way to, I think, reframe injuries. Mm -hmm. And then you know, with there, there's there's certain things that are that are chronic. Um, there's certain things that you're gonna have to live with for the rest of your life. Hey, this this thing that's an injury, it's not acute. Like it's gonna mm -hmm. be with you forever, and that's a that's a whole different conversation. That is something that I find being realistic with them because you don't want to promise mm -hmm. the moon and stars mm -hmm. of hey, we're gonna fix everything about you and you're gonna move just like this guy over here has been doing for ten years. And so I think that there is that that extra asterisk of people that have chronic some sort of something. Mm -hmm. And just like you said, I find that, hey, what is the new goal place? So it's not everything's wonderful and my body works perfectly, but at the highest functioning that we can do, how can we start to move the needle there and resetting expectations? Because you're right, it is easy to, in that space, totally discount any sort of progress you can make from then on out. Mm -hmm. And that's a, that's a great point within all of these. It's like, Hey, say, say this is just the cards that you're dealt, mm -hmm. right? Say this game is unwinnable and injury is a good one, right? Mm -hmm. Hey, let's say that you're going to have to deal with this the rest of your life. How are you going to make your life as good as you possibly can despite that? And eventually we will get to the answer of, okay, I need to, I need to do what I can. Yeah. 
and I need to be as active as I can. There, you know, it's like the research yeah. is buttoned up that that's good for you. Right. But it's just getting to a point where you believe that. It is often true. Yeah. Uh, I think it's called like your default future. Like if you keep doing everything exactly the way that you do now, what's going to happen and what's going to be true of you. I find that is also really helpful in the same thing. It's like it's the opposing of wave your magic wand, right? Okay, here's exactly where I would love to. Here's where I will end if I literally do nothing and do the exact same thing over and over again until I die. And so I think that's really helpful to show up with like, okay, let's say that your worst fear is true, that your rib is broken forever. It never heals. Okay, are you just going to be like, okay, well, I guess that's it for me. I can't take care of my body in any way now. And so I think that there's there's real power in being like, hey, if this is true of you, are, is that it? Like, are you going to let that be what defines you for the mm. rest of your life? Yeah, that's really good. Well, how about this third category, the unathletic body? The unathletic, the ones that were not gifted with the rhythm. Look, look, double unders. <laughs> look, it's They're like, hard, yeah. you know? I get yeah. it. It's challenging. Are you a good salsa dancer? No. Speak for yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Me and two-stepping got along. I don't know about salsa dancing yet. Um, but yeah, I think that with the unathletic, there is an aspect of their communication with their body is a little bit off. They don't know where they are in space. If they have not grown up playing sports or grown up in like dance or gymnastics, like so much of that is body awareness of how you move through space. And so I think with that, it is a slower pace of coaching. It is holding them in positions and giving them almost kind of that opposing, like so much of it. When I tell someone to keep their back straight, often people don't know what that feels like. So mm -hmm. it's like, hey, round your back as much as you can. Okay, try to do the exact opposite of that. Okay. Mm -hmm. And giving them a lot of cues early on of being able to just understand where your body is in space. Yeah, and, and as we're talking, it could be a neurological issue where, you know, coordination, agility, balance is really tough for them. It could also just be where they're really deconditioned. Right. How many times have we, you know, again, Judge Book Bites cover, it's like, okay, well, this person is not um, overweight. That You know, we even get them on the in body, and it's like your body composition is great. Mm -hmm. And then we get them to move, and we say, oh, like you're deconditioned. Um so I think there's lots of ways that this this one is not as apparent as the I was about others. To say, it's kind of like your say. beginning story. It's like you walk in and I can make an assumption about you that is not true. Mm -hmm. Like I could think you're way further along than you are based off of your body composition, based off of if you can hold certain positions okay. But once you start moving, you're like, oh wait a second. Yeah. And so this one, there may be no heads up that you'll get. Mm -hmm. And so the tools that you have are going to be ones that you'll need to implement very quickly. And if this is in a one-on-one -on -one scenario, um, you know, you'll immediately be like, okay, so we're moving, you know, moving on to this. <laughs> or, you know, just like you said, we're going to immediately reduce it down in terms of speed, in terms of disconnection from the ground. Mm -hmm. um, if it's a deconditioning thing, we'll immediately call audibles to reduce the intensity yeah, yeah yeah reduce the rate of perceived exertion mm -hmm. and really that's not any different if there are other people around too you'll just have to if it's one-on-one -on -one, you make a proclamation like mm -hmm. hey we're, we're switching this right now if it's in a group you're just going to have to be a lot more tactful about that you're not going to you know pull the cord on the jukebox and be like hey everybody 
John, you're doing. Yeah. We got to go over here. John's and, having a terrible time. You know, yeah. you have to be a little slicker about it. Yeah. I actually saw that happen in a class one time, and I was like, way to just absolutely kill the momentum and any confidence that person oh, had. Oh, yeah, they're done. It was so awful. And that's one of my uh, – won't go on too big of a rant here. It's one of my issues with having people in a circle moving corporately, which means I am – calling you up and down through reps Mm -hmm. that's modeled in CrossFit. And those guys that do it well can make everyone feel great. And they typically don't single people out, but I very rarely see that modeled well when there's an issue like this, Mm -hmm. that person ends up feeling like a piece of shit. And so that brings up a great point of like, Hey, even the ways that you decide to coach, whether it's um, direct instruction where you're pausing people down at the bottom, calling them up, or you're saying go and they're doing a rep, or you're giving them independent practice where it's like, hey, give me five reps. You want to be really strategic with things that are high skill or things that have multiple moving parts or poses for this reason specifically. Mm -hmm. And if you're going to freeze people and cue somebody, you better be really good at that. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, it's also, I think, moving as a group, lowering complexity. So if it is like pausing them in a position, but not trying to get them to do a very complex movement all at the same time mm-hmm. and then try to call them out based off of mm-hmm. that. Um, because with the unathletic or was it deconditioned body, mm-hmm. whatever, but yeah. uh, the complex movements are ones that really like start to go out the window. Yeah. And you think uh, when the pressure's up, you think they're going to get better or worse when they hear their name. Like even like, I mean, even those that are, have been doing this forever. When I get called out in the middle of a class, I'm still like, Oh shoot, what did I do? Like, what is it? Or like, just don't look at me or whatever it is, you know, like you don't want to be called out. And so even someone that's confident in these things and coaches these things, if I still experience that, then like, no one's wanting a spotlight on them. Absolutely. And we're not talking about a, you know, a backflip into a one-legged snatch. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're talking about something just as simple as like, hey, go ahead and stick your chest out. Yeah. And if they think that they're being called out, it's like they're someone's unplugged their brain. Yes. Right? Yes. <laughs> it's so true. Okay. Intimidated bodies. This is an the interesting intimidated one. Intimidated one. Mm-hmm. Yes. That's the one that is primarily a headspace. Like if we're making the assumption that they can move and interact within the space, but it's just crippling social anxiety or it is a foreign type of movement or you're assuming that everyone else is further down the road than you. A lot of that is how can we still integrate your, is the group class the right call for you? Mm -hmm. Is group fitness the right call for you? If you're so intimidated by the people around you, but I think that there is some, again, reducing complexity. I think there's some kind of low level, what's the least amount that we need to reduce it to still feel successful. Mm -hmm. And then from there is, I mean, can we establish relationships within the class? Can we get you in a group and show you that maybe this person's been doing this for a long time, but everyone's here for the same reason. And I think with, with this, and you could say that for, these other categories as well. You have the authority to prescribe whatever you think would be helpful. Instead of saying, hey, you know, um, ah, we got this group schedule, just just come whenever you want. If you, if you realize that this is what you're dealing with, 
do not let them go to the class that has 25 people in it. Mm -hmm. Do not let them go to a class that has anybody else in it. Yeah. You have every right to say like, hey, this is what this is what I'm picking up on. I've seen this before. And this is what I would recommend for this. I want to meet with you one on one. And here is why we're going to reduce this down to just one other person. And we're not going to do this forever. And yes, I know it's going to cost more money, but this is what you need. Mm -hmm. And to speak with that level of confidence is sometimes the action that someone who's anxious needs. They say that action dispels overwhelm. And some of when we feel overwhelmed, it's because of the the multitude of possibilities that could happen to them when they enter into something new. Mm -hmm. And some of that is because of the number of people that are around. So social anxiety is based on numbers. Mm -hmm. Hey, the multiplication of what could happen interacting with 20 people is too much. And so one of the best things we can do is really, really make this so simple as far as like an interaction standpoint. They're like, okay, I can handle that. Mm -hmm. I can handle one person. Okay. And then how do you inoculate stress or how, how do you expose people? We're going to go from one to two. Hey, we're going to do this one-on-one -on -one session, but I'm bringing in somebody else. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now I'm going to put you into this group. Okay. Now we're going to be in a small group. And then eventually, and we've seen this time and time again, this person that could not interact with more than one person is thriving because mm -hmm. we've we've titrated it down and, and progressed them the same way that we would uh, wait on the back squat. Right. I think there's uh, an aspect also that as they're getting integrated with the social aspect of it, they're also building their confidence in the skill acumen of it because two parts of intimidation, one might be I see people doing these skills that I have not attained, and then another one is there's a big group of people here that seem like they all know what they're doing and I don't feel like I know what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. So there is like an action part of it where it's like my body doesn't do that yet, but then also like other people will see that my body doesn't do that yet. Yeah. So I think that the twofold is like as we integrate them with being able to do this in front of other people, they're building skill level as well so they can feel confident going into this space of like, oh, when they say back squat, I know how to do that. Or when they say this other skill movement, like I've got what I do for that. So, Britt, are you telling me that with each one of these avatars, we are reducing the complexity, the skill, the intensity, the volume, and the speed? That is exactly are you what telling I'm telling me, you. Are you sitting here telling me that quite possibly a lot of the reasons that people leave is because we're introducing this too quickly with no timetable or progression? Sounds pretty familiar. Wow. All right, last horseman. The last of the five. The 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 finale. <laughs> the old ass. <laughs> the elderly. God bless. They're still alive. <laughs> they and they're and they're far. here. They're here. Man, can I tell you? They're some of my absolute favorite to work with. I was just gonna say that, like, so great. You want to find a badass? Mm -hmm. You find somebody whose body doesn't feel great, who knows they're going to die, and they're still showing up, right? Yeah. Have not counted themselves out. Like, who you, th <laughs> <who> you <laughs> think's got more resiliency? Who you think's got more resiliency? The 22-year-old that's doing three workouts training for the CrossFit Games or, the, or Fran, the 80-year-old woman who's got 
two fake knees is a hundred pounds soaking wet and is showing up being like, Hey, I know I got I got ten years respect. max here. The on most Earth. respect. Right? Man. <laughs> you just hang out with them and learn from them. You don't do anything else. No <laughs> kidding. No, I think uh with those that are older, I think the pace of movement just has to slow down. I think we kind of like said it just then of hey, the scale of it, the complexity of it, the tempo of it, all those things need to be reduced to what they're physically able to do and can feel success around. But a lot of that is with um, high impact movements. Like you have to acknowledge that, hey, their bones are a little bit more fragile or like their joints are a little bit more fragile. And so even the ability to take intensity out of it in a major way and be able to build that into their program as well. Yeah, and, and what we have found is that even though we, we make jokes about how old they are, there can still there, there's a misconception that because I'm this age, gravity and oxidation have have taken control of my body and there's nothing that I can do. Mm-hmm. And we've seen people increase their VO2 max, increase their bone density, increase their strength, increase their range of motion, and do things that they never thought was possible. And so part of this isn't you know, keeping them with these reduced down movements, but it's, it's saying like, Hey, you can progress. But we have to be so smart with the way that we administer that. And so here's how we're going to go about it. Mm-hmm. And I think you don't, you know, you don't blow smoke up their ass and be like, yeah, you know, we, we can get you, we can get you run that marathon. <laughs> but, right. <laughs> uh, there, there is, there is, we've seen this with, it's happened so often because quite typically they are coming off of inactivity mm-hmm. or they're coming off of an injury or they're coming off of a surgery. And so they've told themselves, Hey, I'm too old to progress. But we found that with the right tools and the right progression, like they, they can enjoy the days that they have. Absolutely. Left. Yeah. It can be some of the best days left. Yeah. So we've talked about the psychology. We've talked about the, the biology and you said something earlier that I want you to repeat and it's the social part of it. So with each one of these, horsemen with each one of these avatars they comparatively to the the average person that's in a gym can easily feel like an outcast mm-hmm. say again what what you like to have a conversation around as far as that's concerned yeah i i have had this happen multiple times where i get someone that is not the normal deviation of what we see and it's so easy for them to compare themselves to those that have been in this lifestyle for a long period of time or someone that is half their age or someone that is half their size. Um, And they start to feel really defeated because of that. But you have to not even like that comparison is a great thing to do, but if you can look to let's say your own age demographic rather than the people that you're seeing in the gym, you're not, you are still an outcast, but you're special. Like you're the one that's actually taking stand and taking charge in your life. And so I have an athlete that I have this conversation with all the time and she is in her sixties and she gets so flustered when she sees someone that's half her age doing something that she can't, but then she'll go to her girls weekend with girls that she's known for the past 30 years. And she's like, Oh wait, I am so much better off than all these other people that are in my same life stage that are not doing what I'm doing. 
So being able to reframe like, hey, I'm the one that's actually different in this room, but also I'm the one that's taking charge and stand in my life. Mm -hmm. And so it's truly just readjusting because if you use comparison as your meter, like someone will always be fitter than you or someone will always be less fit than you and or any aspect of anything. Someone will always be healthier, unhealthier. But I think that for them, whether it is age or whether it is, you know, weight or whether it is injury, there's so many aspects of like, hey, no, you're the real winner because you're doing something mm -hmm. like you showed up mm -hmm. and a lot of them aren't. Mm -hmm. And so when you multiply that out, you're going to be in such a different space than them. Yeah. And man, isn't it true that each one of these people can be an inspiration, mm -hmm. right? Each one of these people to a very vanilla homogenous group, when you have somebody that comes in and you wouldn't think that they have the confidence to do this and then they step in and they do it, those people... Oh, they're be, the hero. Oh, man. They, they are the yeah. hero. And when they just become... It's like the guy with, with Stratton, right? All of us have something going on mm -hmm. that we're not truly secure about. All of us have something going on where it's like, you know, that's not, that's not what I'm like super proud of. But it's easy for us to cover that up. Mm -hmm. This, where you're stepping in, it's like, yeah, check it out. I got this going on. The majority of people will never be able to verbalize that because it's a hard thing to verbalize without making that person feel self-conscious, but they feel it. Mm -hmm. And so if you are this person or if you're coaching this person to reframe this where it's like, hey, you're not the, you're not the exception, you're not the outlier, you're an example. Mm -hmm. Like you are elite in this way that this thing is working for you. And I think that's something really cool to celebrate. Absolutely. You know, as we wrap it up, it's a weird world that we live in. It's a weird world that I'm hesitant to even say a fat body. Or yeah. like an old body because of how that might sound insensitive. But our job is to just establish what the facts are and then do something with them. And so if you're listening to this, yes, there's a way that you can be more tactful. And in this conversation amongst peers and from coach to coach, we can have some fun and some latitude and, and say things that, that I just want to make sure the listener understands you can be a lot more tactful with. But tact doesn't mean avoidance. And if someone's overweight, establishing the reality of that is a necessary step. Mm -hmm. The way you deliver that can be professional. The way you deliver that can be with tact and with grace. But a, a part of all of this is to have the balls to have the courage to be like, this is where you are. And I'm down for the journey, right? I'm here for mm -hmm. you. But let's not sweep this under the rug and say that we're just going to do the surface level thing. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, my heart just felt like I needed to say that out loud. I think that's part of establishing the coaching relationship as, hey, I'm here to be on your team and I'm here to help guide. And if you can't re acknowledge the reality of the situation, then... You're not going to be a very good teammate. Mm -hmm. 
Thanks for closing with that. Yeah. That was nice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, done. Sick.